the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 264 for June 19th, 2011. Nokia and Apple settle their patent dispute, RIM's quarterly earnings spark concern, and Google Sync for iOS gets updated. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week with the help of listeners like you, subscribers to The Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked. More information at thecellphonejunkie.com. The show is also supported by The Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and the iOS for $1.99. Well, first up this week, we've got another review. This time, it's the OtterBox Commuter Series, and this is for the BlackBerry Style. So Joey had a chance to check out the Commuter Series case for his style. So uh, Joey, why don't you tell us a little bit about it, uh, what your thoughts were on it? Well, like every other OtterBox out there, it provides a, a really nice protection for your device. I mean, they've got their different level, levels, like the Defender series, where it's got the waterproofing cover over the screen, uh, where everything, all the, the uh, ports have been covered with uh, waterproofing or something like uh, along those lines. This is kind of the, 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 the mid-level product. And, and surprisingly, when I got it, I, I, I couldn't believe that it actually uh, covers the hinge. It uses the silicone rubber liner that goes in between the, the phone and the actual clamshell, the hard plastic clamshell have. So when you open it up, it, uh, it, it, it literally, you know, kind of squeezes up out of the way. Uh, and it's a very neat design that keeps the entire phone protected. So you said there were a couple of things with it. Obviously, there, the, the biggest issue for you is the lack of being able to use it with your charging pod. Yeah, I really do like the charging pod because it's, you know, it spends a lot of time in the charging pod. I mean, it's, you know, you know, whatever, eight some hours it sits in there and it creates kind of a little bedside clock and puts it in bedside mode. Uh, you know, it would be something they could actually do, but they'd have to replicate all that. They'd have to kind of translate the the connectors to the exterior of the case and they'd have to build their own charging pod, which I, I think a lot of people actually own Blackberries with that capability would pay the extra uh, $25 or whatever it would be at least to, uh, to, to add that functionality or replicate it. Uh, that would be a great option, uh, personally, uh, I, I would think, but you know, other than that, that's, uh, that's really the only downside to it. This particular one had some kind of sharp, uh, mold lines on it. The injection molding, it seems like they, they weren't quite sealed together, uh, that well. So there was a little bit of a sharp edge, but I was able to trim that right off. No problem. So one of the things with the the style I noticed of was when you when you first look at it, the the keys are actually a little concave on the keyboard itself, obviously to to allow it to open up the uh, the screen, right, or to close the screen and not have the the screen hit hit all the keys for it. So, no, the key the keys actually do stick up above the flat level of the the phone body themselves, but they're 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 not they're, they're fairly flat, but they they do actually have they do stick up a little bit. So, okay, so explain then how, how does the case kind of translate for that? Because you, you mentioned how it doesn't have very much bulk, but I'm, I'm trying to get, get an idea for how that, how that works uh, around the keys themselves. You know, I, I have a couple pictures of that, but it's, it's hard to describe, but it's, it, you know, the rounded body of the style itself actually has enough uh, of a, a round shape to, for the, the, the case to clip onto without coming to the level of the keys. So uh, literally the, 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 the case is even slightly below the body of the style, the outside edge of the actual style itself. So it, it doesn't get in the way during typing, which I was very surprised. And overall, I mean, it's it, you mentioned that it doesn't uh, feel like it's any bigger in your pocket. It's pretty much, uh, you know, what what you're used to as far as the overall, uh, you know, footprint and, and just generally how it works for you. 
It is, because it, it, it's the hard plastic, so it slides right in and out of my pocket. That's where I keep the style. So it's not like it's a, one of those rubber silicone where you where it gets stuck in your pocket and you can't get it out. Uh, yeah, I don't really notice it at all. So it's a, it, it gives definitely a lot of protection for the device for for adding just the, the minimal amount of you know size and heft to it. Well, it's good to hear. I think it's a it's a neat product, and they spent a lot of time, you know, putting together uh, the design for it and and multiple pieces like all OtterBox products are. And and Joey did a great job on the review. If you want to read the rest of that, you can head over to thecellphonejunkie.com and click on the link on the top for reviews, and you'll be able to read the rest of that. So let's jump into the news. First off, this week, Nokia announcing on Tuesday that it had entered into a settlement with Apple over patent disagreements. Specific terms were not disclosed, though Apple will be making a lump sum payment to Nokia and pay ongoing royalties as part of that agreement. So here's where this gets interesting. The the Nokia and Apple dispute over patents has been going on now for, I think, about two years, maybe. And uh, this is kind of the, the, the culmination of that. Actually, excuse me, two decades uh, is when how much Nokia is when they've been in, you know investing in all of this here. And of course, Apple comes along in 2007 and introduces phones that are, are, are using different patents that uh, Nokia had. A lot of this was more of the, you know, the, the communication protocols and in and, and what's going on with, you know, the GSM uh, networks and how they're connecting to it and whatnot. And uh, so, you know, Nokia tells Apple, okay, you, you've got to license these things. And when they don't, then they go after them. And Apple goes after Nokia for some patents that they have regarding various things. But I think this is a pretty big deal for this to finally get settled after, uh, you know, after quite a while here, a number of uh, a number of lawsuits went back and forth. This really gets rid of of all uh, issues that were out there and all of the litigation between for everything that's been going on has now been resolved. And uh, basically, they move forward. It, this is a win for Nokia, really, is what this comes down to, where they they are the ones that are, are receiving money from Apple, not only in this lump sum, but then ongoing royalties. And I know this isn't you know what Nokia would consider a plan for uh, for income, you know, for their business, but it's something that that certainly helps. And and with everything that's been going on with the products that they've been uh, making and 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 the market share that they've been losing, I'm I'm sure they're happy to at least see you know something like this come back at them. You know, patent technology w- within these technologies is a very so it, it's it's a very elaborate system because now we've got all these big players out there with huge patent portfolios. You have to license technologies from like almost every single one of the major players out there if you're in the business. But then everybody's licensing from everybody else. It's just this uh, huge system of, of payments and royalties, and and you know every single you know HTC device has to pay an X amount of dollars to uh, you know. Apple or no, you know, d- depending on which technology they're using, uh, you know, certain sound chips have to pay royalties and you know, sound systems. I mean, there's just a little bit of royalty for everything. That's why a lot of these companies like to make their own dedicated chipsets and everything, because it, it then can become a revenue generator. And, and again, we, we don't know the specific terms for what it was that Apple was, was asked to pay out for this, but uh, um, it was big enough to where the, it's a positive financial impact for Nokia. They've revised their outlook for the second quarter of the year, and so it's going to be contributing quite a bit uh, to their overall earnings. So that, that's good for them, and uh, no more talking about this, because uh, between Nokia and Apple, everything is done. Well, according to former Macworld associate editor David Cheriter, 50% of iPhones have never been backed up to a computer. Per his post, a little birdie says that about 50% of Apple store customers who need to get their iPhones swapped have never plugged them into iTunes after the initial activation and sync. 
This is the big reason, according to his little birdie, for why Apple Store geniuses are excited about iCloud. iOS 5 will allow for wireless backups each night when a user plugs in his or her device to charge and when they're on a Wi-Fi network. It's a long overdue system. I mean, like with Android, for example, you know, you type in your Gmail credentials and it's all done. It's all backed up, ready to go immediately. You know, obviously we've, you know, needed some time here to get away from just the physical iTunes, but it doesn't surprise me in the least because it's, it's really not that fun to connect up the, uh, the device and sync it up with, with iTunes. Um, it, 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 this, this will really be a nice thing for people when a device fails or gets lost to have this, uh, information stored. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it as well. I like the idea of having a, a local backup, but uh, I also really like the idea of having some sort of remote backup, as, you know, especially when you're, when you're on the go. Um, not everybody takes the computer that they sync with with them uh, all the time. Uh, I'm in that group, and I, I don't want to have to deal with uh, trying to wait uh, when I go back, you know, to get back to where I am, wherever my computer is, to do a backup. Um, I, I do go through a lot of phones, uh, what, you know, a lot of iPhones, whether there's an, an issue with it or I'm just buying new devices or whatever it is. And, and so it makes a lot of sense, and uh, it'll just be nice because it's free, right? You get five gigs uh, of storage through iCloud free, and so you won't even have to think about, you know, what's going on there. It's just... Um, Overall, I think it's a really good thing. I'm, I, you know, I'm glad Apple's doing it because there's there's so many iPhones that are out there now. This this makes all the sense in the world. U.S. Senators Al Franken and Richard Blumenthal Wednesday proposed a bill called the Location Privacy Protection Act of 2011. This is going to focus on privacy laws for smartphones and tablets. The legislation is geared at protecting the location privacy of mobile phone users and require phone manufacturers and developers to receive express consent from mobile users before collecting or sharing information about those users' location with third parties. Now, according to Franken, he says, our laws do little to protect information on our mobile devices. Geolocation technology gives us incredible benefits, but the same information that allows emergency responders to locate us when we're in trouble is not necessary information that all of us want to share with the rest of the world. The legislation would give people the right to know what geolocation data is being collected about them and ensure that they give their consent before it's shared with others. The bill follows the investigation of some devices that record and store user location data, i.e. iPhones and a number of different Android devices. I I'm, I, I get why they're doing this. Um, it kind of seems a little, you know, uh, a little late in the game, but I know they have to do it. And, and with everything that's come up lately, it, I guess it just makes sense. But, uh, you know, nothing much else to say about that one, I guess. RIM on Thursday announcing its first quarter earnings for the fiscal year 2012. Revenue for the period was up 16% over last year at almost $5 billion. But that missed investor estimates by over $500 million. In a statement from co-CEO Jim Balsilli, he says fiscal 2012 has gotten off to a challenging start. The slowdown we saw in the first quarter is continuing into the second and delays in new product introductions into the very late part of August is leading to a lower than expected outlook in the second quarter. Device shipments came in at 13.2 million devices. That's down from nearly 15 million last quarter. Of the shipments, 500,000 were the new BlackBerry Playbook tablet. This compares to half as many Zoom tablets in the first two months and double the number of tabs sold by Samsung during that same time period. 
Regarding the 4G version of the tablet, co-CEO Mike Lazaridis said, we're soon to release native email and BBM on and our Android player later this summer uh, to be followed in the fall with 4G playbooks for WiMAX, LTE, and HSPA+. Now, regarding new phone hardware, the company announced that it would be delaying the launch of the Bold Touch 9900 or 9930 until the very late part of August. Production delays were said to be the cause. Finally, RIM also said that it would begin a program to streamline operations that will involve job cuts. Stock price dropped 15% following the, uh, the release of this information in after hours trading. Uh, this is a lot of bad news. Um, you know, it's still that they're, it's still good that they're making $5 billion in revenue uh, over the quarter, but uh, you know, just generally a lot of negative coming out of this report. Well, the, you know, the sales trends are just, they're so negative, you know, they're on the, the downturn so drastically that it, 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 it's bad news because it, it just, you can't turn that around that quickly. And unfortunately, they've got nothing that's going to turn it around. I mean, the playbook has potential. We, you know, we, we've got great hardware. We've got a, a decent underlying OS. But of course, the software on the OS, th- there's just nothing there. I mean, how do you release a, a BlackBerry without BBM or email? I mean, what what sense does that make? I mean, there's just nothing there. We've got, you know, devices that came out last summer, the Bold 9650, you know, on the, the CDMA side and a couple of other Bolds, but we, but they, they were really behind in the technology curve at that time. And then the promise of OS 6 uh, during the last summer, you know, the end of the summer was supposed to get you up to a, a competitive phone and it just didn't deliver. So all these things, and then of course, you know, before that, there's been not much and then we've got just these limited devices that are going to be coming out at the end of this year. We've just got nothing to to pull them out of this nosedive in the you know the how, how quickly they're losing market share. Well, you're not the only one who thinks this. Uh, in an earnings call or in a call uh, after the earnings call on Thursday, um, Jaroslawski Fraser Limited announced that they had sold over half of its stock holdings in RIM. Uh, the chairman Stephen Jaroslawski said. Uh, they're speaking about rim he said they're resting on their laurels steve jobs is a much better marketer than rim we're on the way out the stake has been reduced to uh, more that by more than 50 percent or even more um he also said that uh, they had owned 10.2 million shares of rim stock at the end of last quarter um, following this and other things uh, we mentioned that they dropped 15 percent in after hours trading by the end of the day on friday they had dropped over 20 percent uh, they're down from their their year high of nearly 70 canadian dollars per share down to 27 Canadian dollars. So we're talking about um, a, a drastic, drastic drop here, um, you know, almost by two thirds of where they were. Uh, I think it was February is when they were at their high. So uh, investors are not real happy with what they're doing either. Well, and it's it's very disappointing because, you know, BlackBerry does have a lot of potential and they, they had the potential in this infrastructure, this whole back end network system that they have. They could have easily owned this market still if they would have kept up, uh, you know, kept up with their phones they have the structure that apple now had to take you know all these years since releasing the iphone to build up to they had it immediately they could have started doing you know phone backups they could have started doing uh, all these other systems that would have given them uh, an edge up i mean especially with the bbm and how popular that was but they just did nothing i mean we we had a storm okay that was a great start uh not uh, i mean it was it was not received well but they could have kept developing it and improving it. They, they, they released a Storm 2, which was an 
a minor update. I mean, just miniature little updates. They they fixed the, the SurePress screen a little bit. They did a little thing here and there. But that was it. It was not, okay, let's make a jump to the next level. They released the Torch last year. It was like uh, very similar to the Storm. It had a sliding keyboard. Okay, that's great. But it was just nothing really different. And all of these little all these little things add up to be one big failure in the in the current market of of smartphones. The specs that they have on this ninety nine hundred are, are not bad, um, but they're they're still trying to you know uh, limp along this operating system that is something that they should just totally scrap, move on, and 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 just try and try and do anything that they can to salvage the market share that's out there. I mean, there's so many things that they could do to reinvigorate the, the current BlackBerry user base. Um, there's still people that will buy Blackberries just because the the experiences that they've had with them in the past, but not if they're going to continue down this path of, of just kind of minor upgrades to it. They they really need to take a page out of either, you know, Microsoft's book with Windows Phone or Palm's book with WebOS. They, they've got to cut, the, you know, cut their losses and move on because that's what today's marketplace requires. Well, and they've claimed they're, you know, go, going to do that with the QNX operating system that we've seen in the playbook. But, you know, my guess is, you know, a year and a half at the absolute earliest from now is we'll, we'll see that on a handset, which... Uh, that's a long time in this in the current market that we've got, especially with OS five right around the corner, a new iPhone coming. Um, you know the 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 number of Android phones just exploding, and the, the specifications on that, and the new OS versions. In the meantime, we've got uh, you know OS seven for BlackBerry coming out, which everybody knows it's just OS six point one. They've added a couple of checkboxes here and there. That's all we've seen of it so far, and I think that's all it's going to be. Um, it's, it's not going to be anything different. I mean, really we've seen a few different BlackBerry versions over the past few years. And I was thinking, uh, today the 8830, you know, that was the Verizon phone you had for a while. Um, it, it was a world edition, uh, basically the bold of the day. Uh, it, it ran so quick. The battery life was great at the time. It was just a marvelous phone. The, the current crop of Blackberries are just marginally better than that thing. And, and how old is that now? I mean, we're looking, what, four years ago, five yeah. years ago? I mean, it's just, you just can't even compare, uh, you know, the, the, the movement in technology and, and the other smartphone manufacturers compared to what we have with BlackBerry. And that's just, uh, it's going to be hard to dig out of that hole that they've got themselves into. And from a business perspective, they're still profitable. They're st- still doing very well. Their balance sheet is strong, $3 billion in cash. They're growing in a number of markets around the world. It's it's not that they're, you know, from a business perspective, they're not doing well. It's it. You just have to look at, you know, what is happening with their competition, with the rest of the industry. And uh, I, I believe that they've got um, the leadership is looking too much at, you know, what these quarterly profits are and, and making sure that they're hitting marks. And, and if even though that they are, uh, they're, they're not as good as where they where they could be or they should be or, or even where they used to be. Well, and that it, in, it makes me think, well, they need to do something different, of course. Well, we all know that. But they have to, uh, you know, they, they have to keep people in the Blackberries in the meantime. And, of course, I think, okay, maybe dropping the price. Uh, you know, there's, of course, a lot of curve models that have been very low price now for a couple of years. That helps to keep people in Blackberries. Um, you know, we supposedly have a touchscreen curve coming, but they needed that two years ago. That uh, The problem I see is, is they promised we were going to have this QNX operating system coming this whole new operating system but they've told us that what a year ago now i think and 
or whatever number of months ago and it's going to be so long out that why tell us this stuff ahead of time because then we just get our hopes up and then we start saying well let's not buy a blackberry now because next year they'll be much better and it it just causes you to kind of put these things off when you hear about these announcements so far in advance and it's just not uh, it's just not really a good way of doing business so uh, they need to to get people into blackberries and stay with blackberries and maybe the 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 new uh you know choice of hardware here will be that uh will be that thing to help save them in the meantime because they're supposedly actually going to be bumping the processor speeds and including some new features maybe but at the same time it's it's still uh you know the user experience is is what is becoming uh, the big thing now for consumers, they're looking for you know what's that what's that great UI that's that's really easy to use and and something that I don't call a UI just because it's I use the phone and it works really well. That's what people look for. Well, and that's uh, that that is it. And of course, where the real issue is is application supports. We have we have BlackBerry App World, and there's a, a handful of useful applications to download, but it it's a ghost town, and that's what people find fun and exciting. And if you uh, go shopping for a BlackBerry and say, oh, okay, so what kind of apps can I get for this thing? Uh, they ask the salesperson. They'll be like, eh, a couple. Oh, let's see. Let's go grab that uh, Android phone over there because you've got hundreds of thousands. It, it's it's just that easy. I mean, it's not, uh, it, it's, it, the, the, the software support just isn't there for it. And it's not going to be based on this, uh, you know, on these reports. Talking about a lack of application support, let's go back to the playbook. They sold about 500,000 units in the first quarter. Um, estimates are saying somewhere between probably you know, two and 250,000 are in customers' hands, and the other half are, are in distribution channels still. So, uh, but, but RIM has shipped about 500,000 uh, out into the market. So um, that number uh, is kind of what we, I think, thought we were going to see. We, we, you know, we, we've talked about that, and um, I'm not really positive that that is a, a good number for them. It's still a lot of units, right? But I'm not sure that that was where they were thinking when we're talking you know, two months now. Now, uh, of sales for this thing, and they're talking about the BlackBerry line, which they've you know sold 13 million. Um, so I, I don't know. What do you think about that? It's it's really tough to say. I mean, it is a new device. Unfortunately, you just can't you know come out of the gate absolutely blazing with sales uh, unless you're Apple, and they don't have that kind of following. They they really. Uh, let the people, you know, the, the users down, even the, 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 the hardcore BlackBerry addicts down with the, the poor software at launch. I mean, they did not get SDKs out and programming um, stuff to developers until the very last minute, making it impossible to have anything good at launch. So the launch was a letdown because it, it didn't have a big backing. I mean, when the iPhone uh, 3G launched with the application support or when it, whenever they launched the application support with that OS version, there was a lot available at that launch. And that's what really makes a, a big jump, uh, you know, and a big splash for people to, to, to jump into it. And of course, the things like the, the missing BBM and missing uh, email support really hit the mainstream media big time with the playbook launch. And there was a lot of mainstream media coverage of the playbook launch that even a lot of other devices do not get like the Motorola zoom. I, I think that got some, but uh, it's, it's just not, not, it, it just wasn't a big hit because it really missed critical features. Do you think that they're ever going to, they're going to take off with this one? I, I mean, there's so many tablets that are out there right now that, um, are just kind of 
these mediocre tablets, people are looking for for something, and and maybe they don't want an Apple tablet, uh, they don't want an iPad, but they're looking at Android. But then they see this this playbook sitting right next to it. And it's a seven inch you know model. It's it's relatively small, sort of pocketable, and uh, maybe they think about that and they see the BlackBerry name, and maybe they go for it. They may, um, and and of course that's you know in these days most people will ask somebody who knows something about a tablet. They'll say, oh, you know, how, how, how are the tablets? What should I get? Well, if you want applications, get uh, a, an iPad or get a, a honeycomb-based tablet right now. That's, I mean, that's what you'd want to get. And, of course, that's what's going to come up because there just isn't the software support for the playbook for, for most people. And granted, yes, there are some, some good applications on the playbook. And of course, the BlackBerry Bridge where you can tie into your, I mean, you can't get that system anywhere else. If that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. But for an average person, it's just not going to be where they're going to go because uh, it, it doesn't have what is new and exciting. I don't know. I mean, even honeycomb tablets, that's not even a, a great referral at this point. You've got uh, how many actually specific apps does honeycomb have now what are we up to 75 maybe i mean there's hardly anything out there that's specifically written for it yeah you can get other apps that are written for other you know iterations of android but the 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 honeycomb specific stuff is just not there yeah and that's a very good point however we know we know for a fact that that's going to change drastically that's true and very quickly that that number is going to be exponential here as soon as a couple of more devices get out as soon as a little bit more time goes on here, that number is just going to start scrolling upwards just really, really fast. I mean, it's going to leave the playbook in the dust, and we know this. It's just going to take just a couple of more months, and that number will be uh, perfectly acceptable for most people. That's true. And and there's some neat stuff that's coming out now, the uh, the Galaxy Tab 10.1. We'll talk about that in a little bit, bit among other things. But uh, yeah, so a lot of, uh, lot of uh, I guess, uh, turmoil, especially in the press about RIM. And yeah, it's not necessarily that they're doing horrible. I mean, again, we've been talking about this, I think, I feel like for over a year now where it's like, oh, everyone's saying BlackBerry's dying. They're, they're not dying. They're, they're just, they're, they're falling off quicker than I'm sure they want and I'm sure most investors want. And so this is this is where we run into, uh, you know, to all this negativity is from people that are that are giving their opinions on things that uh, ne- don't necessarily doesn't mean that they're a bad business at this point, just overnight. Friday was just terrible for RIM in the media. I mean, they got they had so much negative attention because this this report really did confirm everybody's suspicion on, on how badly uh, RIM was going to be doing in the financials. Well, we could, we could keep talking about this, I'm sure, for, for an hour, but uh, let's move on here. Uh, bottom line, though, obviously, the, the results didn't look real good. They still made money. They made a lot of money. Um, and, you know, there's still a lot of devices being sold. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to watch them very closely, as uh, I'm sure most pe- a lot of people will. Uh, and hopefully they can get that, that bold out here before, uh, you know, more losses can be had. Verizon on Monday announcing its plans to partner with Payphone, creating a new mobile payment system for Verizon wireless customers. The service will allow users to make online purchases from wirelessly connected devices via traditional payment methods or directly to their monthly bills. Merchants uh, that partner with Payphone will insert a buy button onto their mobile website. The service will launch later this year and is said to be compatible with all handsets that have mobile web browsers. 
Verizon on Wednesday announced it would be extending its 4G LTE hotspot promotion through July 6th for the Droid Charge, LG Revolution, and HTC Thunderbolt. The software update will be issued on the 6th to each of the devices to disable that free promotion, and users will then need to pay for the service. Verizon has not said yet what the cost of that service will be. Android enthusiast site Android Police on Monday posted that Sprint will be adding unlimited mobile WiMAX data to higher tiers of its tablet plans when the HTC View 4G goes on sale later this month. Sprint on Tuesday confirmed the statement and said that the carrier's tablet offerings of 1, 3, or 5 gigabytes of data for $20, $50, and $60 respectively will remain. Then, starting on the 24th of June, a 10 gigabyte for $90 per month plan will be offered, and customers with the 3, 5, or 10 10 gig plans will then have access to unlimited WiMAX data. So what that means is if you opt to go with the HTC View 4G uh, and you do want to have the WiMAX data in an unlimited fashion, make sure that you're getting a plan of at least $50 or 3 gigabytes of data per month. Bloomberg on Friday reported that Sprint had reached a deal with LightSquared to deploy 4G LTE. LightSquared's Philip Falcone told Harbinger Capital Partners that in a letter that LightSquared and Sprint will jointly develop, deploy, and and operate LightSquared's 4G LTE network. The deal is said to be worth about $20 billion over the next 15 years. Now, uh, you know, the, the folks over at LightSquared have had a lot of problems over the past few weeks, and, and we reported on it a few weeks ago. There's been a lot more since then, uh, but essentially, what's happening is that the testing areas uh, that LightSquared has are, are 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 in the frequency bands, or they're testing their network in the frequency range that is directly adjacent to GPS signals. And so, what's happening is there's a lot of we'll call it bleed over interference on for GPS signals and other things that are running in that band and and. Um, LightSquared has got to figure out a way to prove to the FCC that this is not going to be a problem moving forward. And unfortunately, I'm not sure that they're going to be able to do it, uh, though this deal may say otherwise. Well, and the deal may be contingent on this. Uh, it, it, it has to be because they, they cannot be um, that oblivious to the issues they're having in the media with the uh, because it's been fairly widely reported about the GPS interference and, uh, you know, I know they filed an extension with the FCC to uh, give them the, the information that they've discovered on their test of GPS. But some of the stuff we saw was a 20 mile uh, effect around one tower from this uh, from their LTE uh, network. So that's really bad news for them. The other thing was that uh, GPS systems and aircrafts up to 2,000 feet were being affected by it as well. And uh, obviously, that's a very important thing to, you know, to note is that if you're you know, landing a plane, obviously, you want to have your GPS system functioning properly. Um, yeah, may, you may want to. Yeah. And of course, 2,000 feet, you know, that's, that's fairly high. You know, it's a third of a mile. But the antennas for the LTE are aimed down at the ground, not in the air. So it's still, that's still a good distance. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned that they filed for an extension. The uh, executive vice president for LightSquare uh, said that based on preliminary test results, LightSquared has determined that additional testing beyond what they had planned, including alternative frequency plans to support its network rollout, were necessary and uh, to permit a proper evaluation. Testing has been performed, and it has set back the timetable, particularly in sub some sub-teams in which data is still being processed and analyzed. So they're going back to the FCC and saying, hey, we, we need an extension here. And we really don't know what's going to happen with that, if the FCC is going to uh, to take it, if they're going to buy it, or if they're going to be looking for uh, you know an answer immediately. So uh, we'll keep an eye on this one. But Sprint is saying, yeah, we're, we're, we're jumping in with uh, LightSquared. We're going to go with LTE with them and 
I don't know what that means for WiMAX and what Clearwire is going to happen with them. Uh, but obviously, I think there's there's going to be some changes here coming soon. Yeah, it's obviously a big news with that agreement. It, it, it It's kind of uh, it's early to say what what that really means, but it definitely points into the direction of uh, Sprint breaking up with Clearwire and letting them do their own thing with their WiMAX network or going to the point of integrating Clearwire into LightSquared's network and just building it all all out as LTE. You never know. They could be doing testing for LTE on the, uh, the, the clear frequencies that they own, right? I mean, that would, that would make some sense. It's very possible. Of course, we've even seen the stories of clear doing their own LTE testing. So it, it, it is very possible. Lots of different opportunities here, and uh, this is looks like those Sprint is, is looking to make a change in the technology specifically, and, and I, I know a lot of people are going to be happy about that. It really needs to be done. WiMAX just isn't cutting it, I think, in the, in the current marketplace. So it's good that they're doing this to try to stay competitive, unlike, uh, instead of just sitting back and waiting for everything else to uh, mature. In other news, T-Mobile on Thursday announcing it had expanded its 42 megabit per second HSPA Plus network to another 47 markets. Those include Albuquerque, Cleveland, Columbus, Sacramento, and San Diego. Uh, Some uh, other notes about this one. The upgraded network is now available in 102 markets and is on track to cover nearly half or 150 million U.S. residents by mid-year. The carrier says that on average, download speeds are approaching 10 megabits per second, with peak speeds up to 27 megabits per second. T-Mobile's 4G network, uh, i.e. the HSPA plus 21 megabits per second network, already reaches more than 200 million Americans in 184 markets. Simple Mobile Wednesday announced a change to its $50 unlimited talk and text plan, upping the data limit from 200 megabytes to unlimited. The service, which uses the T-Mobile network, uh, will be limited to 2G speeds only, though for an additional $10 per month, users can upgrade to 4G speeds where available. Simple Mobile requires requires users to bring their own phone to the network. Bloomberg on Wednesday reported that Cox Communications is considering a sale of its AWS spectrum along with the existing 3G equipment infrastructure. President Pat Esser says that they would like to make the sale to one of the Tier 1 networks, though nothing has been finalized. Cox announced last month that it would be abandoning development of its own network and focus on being an MVNO through Sprint. A big thanks to our first sponsor of the show, Square Trade. Protect your investment through a special offer from Square Trade. They offer prices 70% lower than in-store warranties. And if you visit squaretrade.com slash junkie, you'll get an additional 25% off your order. Head over to the site, click on get a warranty and choose your device. Once you're done, you'll see your listener discount in the order summary for 25% off your total purchase. A special thanks to Square Trade for sponsoring the show. Well, Apple on Tuesday began selling unlocked iPhones through its website. The phones are available for $649 for the 16 gig model or $749 for the 32 gig version. They're available in both white and black. Apple mentions on their site, if you don't want a multi-year service contract or prefer to use a local carrier when traveling abroad, then the unlocked iPhone 4 is your best choice. It arrives without a micro SIM, so you'll need to activate micro SIM card service from any supported GSM carrier worldwide. The device will only work in the U.S. on AT&T's 3G bands. You know, it's really surprising they uh, uh, release this in the U.S., Mickey, because it, it is going to be a very tiny uh, market that will purchase these. But, but of course, having this option is absolutely wonderful if you're a traveler. Uh, you know, for, for domestic use, it's not going to make a lot of sense because you could literally go sign up for an AT&T contract, get the phone for the $200, then turn around and sell it and, and buy out the contract and still come out ahead versus buying this phone outright. 
However, we you can't take that phone and travel with it uh, abroad. And that's where this, the, the real key is in this particular uh, option. And of course, uh, you know, if you already have an AT&T plan, for example, and you know where you're going to be traveling, uh, it, it does make sense to, to, to get one of these. You know, I'm not a, I guess I'm not a, opposed to buying this, but the, the cost is a little much. And you, you think about this and you look at this and you go, wow, that's amazing that they're subsidizing it that far, you know, 400 plus dollars just to get these into people's hands. Um, and I would, I would say if you're someone, again, as Joey says, if you were traveling a lot, this is great. But, um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't do a lot of travel. And if I do, I'm going to, you know, use some other methods and, and do some other kind of funky things. But uh, overall, it, it's kind of neat to see that they're doing this here. And of course, uh, there's no word that you're going to be able to unlock an AT&T phone that you purchased, even if you're out of contract. So um, don't don't think that you're going to be able to go and do that. You have to purchase it directly from Apple. Yeah. And of course, like you said, the other ways, you know, if you even buy a super cheap, you know, unlocked, uh, you know, just regular old cell phone to make calls when you're traveling and, you know, or do some other, you know, way of getting your data on your iPhone through Wi-Fi exclusively when you're traveling using, even though it is a lot more work, usually those workarounds are a lot more cost effective. And we've talked about that multiple times in the past. There's a lot of great things and easy ways that you can save a little bit of money when you're traveling. And uh, we're in uh, summer travel season now. So if you're if you've got any tips or anything for us, we'd love to hear them. But uh, yeah, this is just another way to uh, to get yourself into an Apple product, I guess, even if it is requiring spending a little bit more money, but uh, no contract there. So could be something for you. And if clues in screenshots found in the iOS 5 beta are any indication of things to come, it seems that the iPad 3 may indeed receive a retina display. A reader of Tech Unwrapped this week pointed out to that images in the Twitter.framework SDK show a resolution of 15 36 by 2048 that's exactly double the current ipad resolution previous versions of the sdk have shown only backgrounds with dimensions of the same size of the ipad screen now this is interesting because we've we saw a story very very similar to this uh back when the uh ipad 2 was starting to become rumored last summer i believe and obviously it didn't pan out um you know this could be just be a, a fluke that they included a high-res version of their uh you know background image uh, I do have a feeling, though, that this could be something real. And I'm going to tell you my theory, Mickey. We're going to see a bigger iPad. And that's where this starts to make sense, is having this higher resolution uh, on a physically bigger size. I think we're going to see a 12-inch uh, approximately sized iPad, you know, because uh, I, I did get one of these uh, this week. And in some cases, I think it should be a bigger device because uh, I use it a lot for the uh, the the media consumption on it, like playing videos and I wouldn't mind it if it was a little bit bigger. So I do see that, you know, and that is where extra resolution will come in handy, but it may not even be for the iPad three. This could be something that's actually further down the road for that matter. And I'm, I'm in the same boat. I think it would be nice to see, and it would be really, really neat if you're, you know, a big video person. Uh, um, I, I also think that if they decide to up the, 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 the resolution, they should upgrade the, the storage options as well. I think that, um, you know, we could even, you know, 128 gig would be a nice option for people. I think they would, uh, they would sell a lot of those just for, you know, those that are looking for additional storage. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that I care enough to sell, you know, mine and get something like this. There would have to be other factors as well. I know for a long time I thought I, I need to have a retina display on the iPad, but I, I don't I don't know. Um, the more I use it, the more I, I realize I'm holding the device further away from me. 
And so the fact that I don't have that higher resolution isn't as big of a deal. Heck, we've been dealing with it on computer monitors for forever now. And so I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not yet sold, uh, but if they do it, I'm sure it's going to be gorgeous. And bringing up the computer monitor thing, this is one issue that I ju- it just, uh, it, it just a thorn in my side, why we're still stuck at the resolutions that we are on computer screens. We should be well beyond this, uh, this, uh, you know, 2000 pixels for our 20 some, you know, 24 inch monitors that we have on our desk here for windows machines, especially I know Mac, they, they, they're bumped up a little bit there with the, uh, like the, 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 the higher end displays. But I mean, all of our displays should be that at this point in time. So I'm glad Apple did the, the higher DPI retina display on their iPhone four. I just, hope they start pushing it out to to get pc manufacturers to get higher resolution as well so it is something exciting as far as the 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 whole entire market goes uh the resolution is great obviously like you said you just don't need it but it is something that uh, really gives you a, a good quality feel when you are looking looking at the device and interacting with it and uh, like you said video storage of course if you start doing higher definition video which Right now, you know, pretty much the highest video goes is 1080p. So, uh, and that's 1920 by 1080. So this even exceeds that uh, by by a good chunk. So it's a it's a lot of pixels on that screen. Yeah, and again, we all know how great the the, the screen resolution is on the iPhone 4, and and the QHD displays that are out on Android devices now are, are exceptional as well. And I I I just I think about taking that little screen. And blowing it up from 3.5 inches all the way up to 10 inches, and 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 having that same you know DPI, I mean that that's extraordinary. Yeah, it, I mean it would look absolutely stunning. I mean it it just would. It's it's no other way to say it. Um, you know I just I'm I, you know the the iPad 2 is so good. I wouldn't be surprised if they push out the the release of an iPad 3 a little bit longer than the one year that they have been. It's just uh, it's just a gut feel I've got because we're seeing that with the iPhone. Uh, you know, the fifth generation iPhone, we're seeing a longer release cycle now. And, you know, with the hit that they have with the iPad 2, it, it just wouldn't surprise me if they start pushing that back just a bit. No reason that they wouldn't. I mean, it, it they, they were able to do it with the, the iPhone 4, like you said. So why not with the iPad as well? Again, this is just speculation at this point. No, nothing confirmed, of course. And, uh, you know, just kind of a neat thing to see, though, and go, okay, yeah, that could happen. We, uh, we see the, the facts there, and uh, we, we think there's, there's a real possibility. All about phones this week, saying that Nokia will launch its first Windows phone handsets in six European countries this year. The devices are set to launch in the fourth quarter in France, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, and two others yet to be named. So if you're looking for a Windows Phone 7 device made by Nokia, you're going to have to go pick one up in Europe, uh, at least if you want to get it this year. U.S. Sailor and Sailor South announced this week that the HTC 7 Pro would be coming to their networks. The Windows Phone 7 handset with a sliding keyboard features a 3.6-inch WVGA display, 1 gigahertz Snapdragon processor, 5-megapixel camera, and 16 gigs of storage the device is $200 at either carrier with a two-year agreement Raymond Thursday made the BlackBerry playbook available to select retailers throughout the UK pricing is 400 pounds for the 16 gig model 479 pounds for 32 gigs and 559 pounds for 64 the device is available from Carphone Warehouse Curry's PC World and Amazon UK 
BGR on Wednesday reported that they've been given information about the Google Nexus 4G, which will be the next iteration of the Google developer device. The device is said to feature a next generation dual core 1.2 or 1.5 gigahertz processor, specifically uh, an OMAP 4460 or a 28 nanometer crate based Snapdragon. The display is reportedly 720p HD resolution and will be monster sized whatever that means, Uh, there will not be any physical Android menu buttons on the screen anymore as everything will be software-based. Further specs include a 4G LTE radio, 1 gig of RAM, or 1080p video, and uh, 1 megapixel front-facing camera along with a 5 megapixel rear camera. The Nexus 4G will run Android Ice Cream Sandwich, which will be likely version 4.0 and is on track to come out around Thanksgiving. All of the things that we've said about this make sense. Uh, You know, higher specs on pretty much everything running the latest version of android coming out sometime around thanksgiving although i think it may be actually a little bit later because they usually do late december early january for the release of the dev device but all of this kind of makes sense um i'm you know i don't know if they would call it the the nexus 4g because what does that mean um well i guess it could be right and then we'll just put it on t-mobile and uh, run out of hspa plus that's probably the easiest way for them to go it really is. It's obviously the next generation, the next specs. It's it's nice to see another Google Nexus phone, which, of course, the speculation was it may not actually be a Nexus phone, but it looks like this is going to be kind of the, the, the next phase of, of benchmarks for the Android because it'll be the release device of the ice cream sandwich. And with any luck, it'll be out on multiple carriers. Uh, you know, that's not something that they've historically done, but um, it would, you know, poss- it possibly would make sense this year with T-Mobile's uh, potential acquisition uh, happening from AT&T. They would maybe want to throw in the 1900 and 850 megahertz bands on there as well. Yeah, that's very possible. It, it, it is something that we haven't seen many of those, but it could be, uh, it, it could be done. But, you know, I think almost now that i'm thinking about it we'd probably have to be further along in the approval process for them to start including all of that uh but either way it's just it'll be nice to see uh, a a very high-end device to bring us into uh 2012 with with the the brand new operating system and it feels like there's a brand new one every single week with android all right everybody if you're wanting to buy the latest and greatest you're going to have to wait now till thanksgiving you know, if that were only the way people thought about this, there would never be any devices sold, right? Never. No, not a single one would be be bought because there's it's just so quick. Yeah, absolutely. T-Mobile on Wednesday releasing the Samsung Dart, an Android 2.2 device with a 3.14-inch display, 3G data, swipe, and comes with a 2-gig microSD card. Available with a two-year agreement for free or for $200 contract-free. Samsung on Friday released the Galaxy Tab 10.1, the latest Android 3.1 honeycomb tablet from the Korean manufacturer. The device features a 10.1-inch WXGA display, Samsung's TouchWiz uh, UX, and the 7,000 mAh battery. The Tab 10.1 will be $499 for the 16-gig model and $599 for 32 gig version. Now, I uh, th- this one on sale starting on Friday, and uh, this was kind of an interesting uh, thing here because I, I have not seen one of these in person. Um, but I, I had a friend of mine say, "Hey, I'm looking for an Android tablet. I don't know. I'm done with my iPad. I need to get something. What should I do?" And uh, immediately I said, "You know, Galaxy Tab 10.1. This is this is the latest thing out. This is you know what you got to go check out." 
And uh, so he headed out and uh, he's been sending me messages all day long as he's been trying to go around from Best Buy to Best Buy trying to find this thing and uh, had a real hard time. He, I, I just got a message as we've been recording here that he did finally find one. Um, but he was, you know, at one point too looking to, uh, you know, maybe go with an Acer or something. I said, no, you, you have to check out this 10.1. This really seems like probably the, the best, uh, you know, comparable tablet out there right now. You know, I would totally agree, obviously, just because it is the latest, but also Samsung has history now with, with tablets. I mean, they've had the 7-inch the uh, tab now for a good long time, even though this is running the newer OS, which, of course, makes it just, you know, that much better. But they're the ones with the history on tablets, uh, and, and that that really does give credibility to the device and to, you know, the, the, the quality that you'll probably get out of it. And Samsung usually does make fairly nice devices. I think so. I think it looks really good. I'm, I just got to get my hands on it to check it out. But it's funny looking at the screen. I go, oh, yeah, Motorola Zoom again <laughs> with the honeycomb. But I know it's nice. It just it uh, I, I was turned off by the weight of the zoom and I, I probably should should give honeycomb another shot. Well, and, and of course, it'll be that much better because now we've had that much time for more applications, uh, you know, just like your experience with the iPad versus the iPad 2 and, and how the application supports makes the difference. I mean, it really does incredibly light on this one too they're saying it's only 1.25 pounds so it's actually uh you know 0.5 of a pound lighter than the ipad so that that's got something going for it. that's that's, that's really that's, nice. it's a big deal i mean it doesn't seem like much but it it that uh that does make a big difference so uh this definitely is a a good alternative to look at yep i think so Motorola on Friday announcing the Milestone 3, the third generation in the Droid line of devices, specifically made for the Chinese market. That phone includes a 4-inch QHD display, dual-core processor, front-facing and 8-megapixel main camera, and uh, also 1080p HD video capture. The keyboard has been expanded to five rows, now including a row dedicated to numbers. It runs Android 2.3 Gingerbread, 16 gigs of internal storage, and will be a world phone to work on GSM and CDMA networks. It will be available starting in the third quarter. Now, it is a Chinese release only, but I re- I mentioned this because uh, obviously the Milestone Three, the successor to the Milestone Two, which is basically the same phone as the Droid Two. Uh, so what we can potentially see is the Droid Three coming with similar specs. So if you're interested in, in the Droid line of devices, this is looks like it's it's very well equipped. And uh, who knows if it does come to Verizon, maybe we'll see another LTE de- based device. I think this would really make this one a big winner. Uh, people would really appreciate having LTE built into uh, a phone that's got such great specifications on it. Well, if you're looking for another way to support the cell phone junkie, you can join us on TCPJ Unlocked. It's our bi-monthly premium podcast. $5 a month, $12 for three months, or $45 for an entire year gives you in-depth conversations about the latest in cellular issues, interviews with industry experts, and much more. Signing up is easy. Just visit thecellphonejunkie.com. Click the link for TCPJ Unlocked. A big thank you to everyone that subscribes. So our latest show was all about uh, Apple and what's going on with uh, Mac OS 10 and the iOS 5 and iCloud and you know what had happened and, and what didn't and stuff. So if you uh, are interested in any of that, make sure you subscribe so that you can listen with that. We've got another great show coming up this Tuesday. So if you're looking to at least check us out, you can head over and sign up for uh, five bucks. We'll give you a month and you'll get uh, access to those shows and you'll be able to listen and make a d- decision to decide if you'd like to help us out with your subscription. Well, Verizon on Sunday released an update for the Samsung Droid Charge that resolves an issue where the mobile hotspot feature would not function unless the date was set to the month of May. Improvements also include a better battery, better connection management, improved GPS, and enhanced email support. Users will be notified via an over-the-air message when their device is ready for the update. 
Chevron WP7 on Saturday announced that it has worked with Microsoft to enhance Windows Phone development through the unlocking of devices. The actual process won't be free, but will allow those who want to jailbreak Windows Phone 7 devices the freedom and approval of Microsoft to do so. According to the site, the service will require a small fee, currently via PayPal only, to offset the costs, but assure you that it will be more affordable than the application hub. Those who wish to write and immediately publish apps are recommended to sign up with the app hub instead, where they say they're excited to be uh, to be announcing this service available to users with the support of the Windows Phone team. So that's kind of a an interesting thing, kind of a, a dichotomy there from you know usually how the the actual OS you know maker uh, you know looks at the, the, the how the community is looking at their operating system. So it's it's really nice to see this. I I, I applaud Microsoft for this effort. Yeah, because you know there is a there's a real hand in hand. I don't know how to describe it. It's more like a a, a buzz about platforms that have a good hacker slash you know cracker community running stuff behind the scenes, making things better, doing things differently. Uh, You know, it was a big deal with Windows Mobile. That's what really drove a lot of people to Windows Mobile. It's 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 you know how do you make how do you make it different and and of course with the iPhone there is a, a fairly big community that runs with the 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 uh, the, dri- the jailbreak uh, applications and the other support that you can do like the notifications that they're finally bringing to iOS five people have been running that same thing for years on their iPhone because of they they've dro- jailbroken it and 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 installed applications that Apple does not approve of and same thing with the Palm Pre if you go to the the uh, forums on there they're just really really rabid fans where you can do a lot of things that that are kind of not sanctioned but it makes the device uh very usable and in many cases adds a lot of functionality i've actually got my eye on windows phone 7 here i'm not uh, i'm not you know ready to make the jump here uh, just yet uh, to go buy something i'm looking for some hardware that should be out hopefully sometime this fall because um, i'm looking for that kind of that next round of, of spec that they throw out there and i think that'll really you know give you know this 2011 round of a very very usable experience and i think uh, it will be very good as well and uh, so I'll, i'm gonna i'm gonna keep my eye very closely on them because haven't given up yet on windows you know my first smartphones were the windows smartphones and uh, i generally like them and uh, really hope to get back to one someday google on tuesday announced new features of its revamped version of google.com's mobile website the site now supports google places which displays local venues sorted by type tap on one of the icons and you'll see a map with your search results compared to your current location Further, a new query builder that allows you to build in the the search piecemeal and add more to a previous search if needed. The new features are available on Android and iOS browsers and will be coming soon to others. Starbucks on Tuesday revealed that its application for purchasing coffee on your phone has been made available in the Android market. Once a card has been added in the app, simply tap touch to pay on the screen and hold it up to the register's scanner to process the order. The app will then update in real time the remaining balance on the card. The Starbucks application is available on devices running Android 2.1 and higher. Verizon announced this week that the Motorola Droid 2 Global would be receiving Android 2.3 Gingerbread starting this week. The update will be sent out to a select group of users first before being distributed to all handsets. Users will be sent a notification on their device when the update is ready. Sprint Thursday announced the HTC Evo Shift 4G will receive the Android 2.3 Gingerbread update starting on Monday, June 20th. Sprint will send an update to users in waves, letting them know that the update is available. The over-the-air update can be initiated by starting uh, this past Thursday by going to Menu, Settings, System Updates, and HTC Software Updates. So if you've got that Shift 4G, head over there to grab it. 
Google on Wednesday updated Google Sync for both the iPhone and iPad, adding new searching, email, and calendaring functionality when connected to your Google account via Exchange. First, the update brings full server searching to each of the folders on the device. That was limited previously to only locally stored messages. This allows users to choose a folder such as all mail and search via sender, subject, and all text in the message. Second, the ability to accept, decline, and edit calendar events on the calendar app has been added. Finally, you can now send emails through the native app from any of the addresses associated with your Google email account. These three updates are available to both Gmail and Google Apps email accounts. And for me, those are huge, uh, three three big features for the iOS. I mean, searching your old email, I do that constantly. Uh, you know, accepting uh, calendar applications, that's okay. But but uh, that is a great feature. And of course, even the third one, uh, changing the, the email addresses associated with my Google account, I do use a few of those. So th- these are great add-ons. Now, okay, I was going to ask you this earlier when we were talking about the iPad. When you, you obviously Joey picked up an iPad this week, was very exciting. Um, you integrated your Google accounts uh, into it, so you've got them synced in through the mail. Uh, did you, in fact, set them up uh, as Exchange accounts, or did you set them up as IMAP? Because we're talking specifically Exchange-based email accounts here. Exactly, and and I did the default Gmail account because I really was in a hurry and have just not had the time to sit down and swap it back over to the Exchange-based one. I, 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 I want to, and I, obviously with these updates, I'm definitely going to, uh, but I it no, not yet, so I'll have to report back on that. So, you know, you ever get one of those things that just kind of bugs you and um, it, it kind of bugs you a, a little bit at first. And then as you kind of go on with, you know, with your life, it starts to bug you even more because you know it's there until finally it's just a full blown obsession. That's where I'm at right now with Gmail, email syncing <laughs> and iOS. So I don't know why I never really realized this, but uh, about, I don't know, maybe two weeks ago, I, I realized that when I was deleting messages on the iOS, it was not deleting them from my Gmail account. It was simply taking off that inbox label and essentially putting them into all mail. So I thought, oh, well, this will be easy. I'll just take the message and you know actually move the message instead of hitting the delete button. I'll move the message to the trash. Well, when you do that, it does the exact same thing. It still just takes off the inbox label and puts it into all mail. So I thought, okay, so how can I do this? So then I did some searching. I found out if I go back in uh, to the folder structure uh, of that specific email account, go to all mail, and then delete it from there, then it actually removes and puts that email into the trash. Now, for someone, then most people have probably have this, have multiple email accounts that are set up on their device. Uh, you have to then go out, uh, you know, choose the the account that you want, then go into all mail, wait for it to fully update, then hit, you know, hit the delete button, then it updates again, then you back out, back out, then go back into your... It's ridiculous. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I will just, um, you know, take out the the whole email syncing experience out of from Exchange, uh, and then just set up the email part of it on, uh, in, you know, through the IMAP version. So I'm still doing the push calendar and push contacts, but then I'm doing all the email through the IMAP. Well, the issue with this, of course, is number one, you don't get pushed email messages coming through to you. But number two, when you if you decide to then go in and uh, when you click on your, your your mail icon to load and have all the, the accounts update, it takes forever. I mean, it takes probably five to 10 times longer than it does when you've got it set up as an exchange-based type. So, and when you've got multiple accounts set up via IMAP, it takes forever. Uh, it's very, very frustrating, and I'm not, I don't have a real good answer. I mean, I guess I can use the web-based app. I've been kind of playing around with that. Um, 
But it's just one of those things at first I'm like, ah, oh, it doesn't really matter. I'll just, you know, who cares if I'm deleting them? But now I'm like, I've got all these messages I really want to delete and I cannot delete them on my phone, which is half of the, 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 the idea of having a phone is so you can triage and delete messages from your email account. Oh, absolutely. And of course, moving to all mail, yeah, it's not that bad. But when it's something you don't want to have in your email account, get rid of it. I mean, I, I guess I'm thinking, uh, can you label it something different? But you can't because you're in the exchange setup. I mean, that's the problem because you're outside of the native uh, the native support. So, uh, you know, if you could tag it with something, that'd be great, but you just can't, you just can't do that. And of course it's, it doesn't make any sense to me why it just won't delete, uh, when you say delete the email. Yeah. So I'm frustrated with this. If you're an iOS user and you've got some other way that you're doing this, which I'm guessing you don't because there's like zero options to configure it. But if you've got some way that you're getting around this, not being able to delete it, please let us know. And if you were someone who previously thought that you were deleting your messages, I'm sorry because you are now going to obsess like me about this and trying to, <laughs> and trying to delete your messages. So I apologize for that. Anyway, the good news, though, is that you now have the ability to do some searching. So you can just go into your uh, you can go into your all mail and then you can go in there and you can do searching and find your old messages out on the server which is very, very nice. Evernote for Windows Phone 7 was released on Thursday, bringing with it the main features of the web-based application to the handset. From the main screen, you get notes, notebooks, tags, and recent notes. Uh, Those all are very similar to what you would experience on any other mobile OS, uh, this this version of the app, uh, or also on the website. It is available for Windows Phone through the Windows Phone Marketplace for free. And finally, Adobe released an update for its Flash-based Android player on Thursday, fixing a critical vulnerability. The issue was said to cause the device to crash or allow attackers to take control of the phone. The update is available from the Android market for free. Uh, Well, we've got uh, three comments here this week. Well, one of them's got a little bit of a question in it, too. But um, I'm going to read both of these here, uh, the first two. The first one is a comment from Dave. The second one is a comment from Greg. And I want to read both of these because you're really going to like this. This is kind of a neat thing. And this is why I love what we do. And it's because of these two comments and the absolute uh, dichotomy of these two uh, users and listeners to this show. So first off, it's a comment from Dave. He says, hi, Mickey. After almost two weeks on Verizon, I'm now back on AT&T for three main reasons. If you remember, uh, Dave called in, I wrote in a couple of weeks ago asking if he was going to, I think he was actually looking for a phone that he could buy and temporarily use. Uh, and uh, anyway, so he says, I'm back on AT&T for three main reasons. My main motivation for switching to Verizon in the first place was the promise of even better cellular service out Outside of my local area. However, where I live, I rarely had any issues with AT&T, and as it turned out, quite surprisingly, AT&T had better coverage. Before I switched, I did some preliminary non-scientific investigation by asking other Verizon users in my area how they liked their service, and I heard nothing but positive feedback. However, for me, at some uh, of the places I frequent, I would find Verizon struggling or non-existent altogether. So, for following your rule of choosing the carrier first, it made no sense for me to stay with Verizon. As much as I told myself, I, would, I wouldn't miss it. I really missed simultaneous voice and data. As my daily driver device, I apparently took my iPhone for granted. I'm a heavy user of text and email, and I found my typing on the iPhone to not only be, not only be more accurate, but much, much faster. Also, it took hours uh, for the BIS to sync my Gmail, uh, and that really wore on my patience. Uh, with the iPhone and push, my Gmail reconciliation 
is instant. Apparently, with AT&T, if you leave and decide to come back within 30 days, they will restore your service exactly as you left it, including my $30 unlimited data plan. Even though it didn't apply to me, they also told me that any ETF would be refunded as well. It's been a, quite a roller coaster with my wireless service lately, and it's nice to be back on my normal stable service. Take care. Keep up the great work. Dave. Now, the next one is a comment from Greg, and he says, Dear Mickey and Joey, this is more of a comment uh, for those that may be in a similar position. I started a new business about one year ago and was looking to establish a corporate libel account with a national carrier. My personal cell phone was an AT&T iPhone, but I really wanted a mobile hotspot or USB dongle as internet access on the road is essential. Because my company was new, both Verizon and AT&T turned me down. Sprint, however, approved me instantly for five lines. Excited by this, I purchased a first-generation Sprint overdrive long story short service was terrible and now i'm stuck in a two-year contract for what amounts to a hockey puck that runs red hot and delivers on average dial-up speeds 4g forget it only if you're outside and underneath the tower i went back to verizon and begged and pleaded and they finally approved my business for a corporate liable account provided that i give them a hundred dollar security deposit and iphone 4 was then purchased i continue to travel and the tethering feature on the iphone for only twenty dollars a month continues to blow me away from the sprint overdrive i know you guys always preach that you should buy what works in your area but for this frequent traveler everything but verizon has been unusable i appreciate the five gigabyte data limit from Verizon and unlimited 4G but if the device is unusable what's the point just want to get the word out there to others if you rely on mobile internet and want a corporate libel account it's worth paying Verizon anything they want for a security deposit rather than dealing with the other carriers I just cannot believe the difference it's night and day in favor of Verizon and I just stopped what I was doing to write this email if any of your listeners want to use Sprint Overdrive I'll give it away provided they cover shipping thanks for the great show Greg you may have a you may have a hard time finding somebody to take the overdrive off the hands uh, from you. I, w- I was just going to say about the overdrive. The best thing to do it if somebody else is in that situation and are stuck with an overdrive, go to eBay and try to buy a used uh, MiFi or something to get, to get out of that because yeah, that thing was a uh, a red hot uh, worthless piece of uh, you know what. Uh, also for Verizon, we've actually said that many many times that Verizon is the way to go if you're a traveler, and it just it always is. I mean, you can go to the most rural areas and almost be guaranteed you'll have EVDO because it's just the way the network is. And and I find that same thing for the the travelers that I have to support. Uh, Verizon's definitely the way to go uh, for uh, traveling coverage. I thought this was pretty neat, though, when we're, we're hearing from Dave here who switched over to Verizon and said, you know what? For me, it did not make any sense. And that is exactly what I always talk about with that 90% rule. It's what works best for you. And if it doesn't work, switch, get out of it, do whatever you can. Get back to a carrier that works because you're not going to be happy unless it works. No, and it's 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 great to be able to have that perspective because most people don't. Most people have their one carrier they've been on for forever. A lot of times it's Verizon, just it seems like by default, because obviously you're less uh, likely to leave that, it seems, for, for, for the most part. Um, but, uh, you know, you've got the features, the simultaneous voice and data that will be coming more so to Verizon in the near future. But you have to, to, to use, the, use the carrier that works in your area and, of course, what you're going to be using it for, like traveling. And, and if I was a big-time traveler, I would most likely have Verizon because you just can rely on it uh, more so than the other carriers. 
And that all said, I, I have to I have to say something here. Uh, for all the negative that I've been about about AT and T over the past, you know, however many months, years, whatever, um, my contract is officially up today. I am no longer under a contract with AT and T, which uh, I, I would have thought, uh, you know, at this point a couple of years ago that I would have absolutely just, you know, been jumping up and down and saying, okay, I'm done. I'm moving on. I'm I'm you know we're we're switching over. We're gonna do whatever, but. You know what? Unfortunately or fortunately, AT&T has, uh, they, they have impressed me over the past couple of weeks. I, I do a lot of speed tests, and I am uh, in most places now finding that they have upgraded the service on the towers so that I'm now seeing HSPA speeds. Uh, and uh, my, my speed tests are showing typically between three and five megabits per second. I topped over six megabits for, per second for the first time ever this week at one of the, the test sites that I had. And uh, that, that's, that's pretty impressive to me. I, the speeds are, 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 are taking, you know, taking, taking it a step up a notch. And so I'm, I'm excited about that. And that's crazy fast. I mean, you, you I, it, it blows me away how quick that is. And that's great for you because you won't hit that with a Verizon iPhone. It, that's just not possible over the EVDO. I mean, you're probably two and a half megabits tops, uh, maybe three if if there's a if it's good. But you'll you'll never hit anything uh, up near six. I mean, it's just not even possible. Uh, but of course, you do have to remember if you do travel, like at CES, you'll be probably back to the situation you were in, in January, where there's just nothing happening. Yep, absolutely. I was in a, a pretty big crowd actually last night. And uh, my speeds were were significantly less than that. I mean, they were around the the, the three to five hundred kilobit per second mark, and so it's it's not like it's it's happening all the time. Uh, but what I'm seeing is is in the places that I'm doing testing, and you know, it's usually like I go to sit down for lunch and you know do a speed test, or you know go to go to the grocery store, do a speed test, uh, go to Target, do a speed test. Um, I probably use hundreds and hundreds of megabytes per month for all the speed tests that I do. <laughs> It is pretty ridiculous. I realize I, this, <laughs> at some point I'm going to, I'm going to take all of these speed tests that I have because you know, the, the speed test app actually, uh, you know, logs your location. I'm going to somehow try and export all of this data and put it on a map because I think it'd be pretty interesting to see, especially over the last couple of weeks, just how much better uh, the speeds have been. You're going to have to set up a, a, a SQL database to hold all these speed tests. I think it, it's pretty ridiculous. I, I got to be honest. Um, you know, I, one time I, I looked and I mean, it's like 10 or 15 megs just to do a speed test i mean it's it's a lot of data but whatever you know, i gotta do speed tests i gotta see how the speeds are you know so that i can i can say well the speeds are good here why do i care about this? so i can do another speed test and see how the speeds are good again <laughs> so i can compare it yeah i can see that we got good speeds it's good speed you know Anyway, so anyway, thanks to uh, <laughs> thanks to both you guys, Dave and Greg, for your comments. Those were uh, very, very interesting for us. And to wrap up the show is a question from uh, Soren. Soren says, hey, Mickey, I'm a regular listener uh, for the last couple of years now. And uh, well, a while ago, you and Joey mentioned what equipment you had used for the great quality audio that you deliver. Could you possibly share that again? As I recall, you have a home setup and also some equipment in which you use when you're on the road. I want to share with another guy who really needs to improve his audio. <laughs> Thanks, Soren. All right, Soren. So uh, I'll tell you what I use here, and then, then I'll throw it over to Joey, and he can talk about what he uses. So at home, um, you know, I'm a Mac guy, so I use a Mac. 
Um, and uh, the actual equipment that I use is a Sterling Audio ST79 microphone, um, and you can find those. Uh, I got mine at Guitar Center, but uh, you can get them online for uh, re- actually relatively reasonable rates. I got mine almost three years ago, I guess, two and a half, three years ago. And um, you know, overall, it's been probably the the single best purchase that I've made um, to really upgrade the quality of, of of the audio that we have or that I personally have for the show. Um, that is a uh, an XLR type microphone. So I'm using an MXL MicMate Pro. Uh, and that is the what essentially converts the USB feed uh, over to the XLR uh, and also powers it as well. Uh, that's got some controls on it that allow me to uh, adjust the gain and the volume and stuff like that. And that's a that's a pretty neat thing that's relatively inexpensive uh, in comparison to the, the microphone itself. Um, I do have a scissor arm as well, so I can move uh, around uh, when I'm sitting here at the desk, and uh, you have no idea because I'm not bumping in, into stuff and whatnot. And then, of course, that gets plugged into the Mac. Now, uh, when I'm on the road, uh, I use the uh, the laptop as well, and I use a Rode Podcaster microphone, Rode spelled R-O-D-E. That is a USB-based microphone, so no other equipment is necessary there. And the nice thing about the Rode, I use that for probably the first three, almost three years of podcasting. Um, you know, I bought it probably, I don't know, three, four months after I started recording this show. And it, it makes such a big difference when you upgrade to something, uh, anything to, to a USB based microphone. I was using, you know, really, really low quality microphones before that. And so the Rode podcaster, while I don't use daily anymore is something I bring with me when I'm on the go and it's easy to just throw in a bag and uh, just plug it into the computer when I'm ready to do a podcast. And it still sounds pretty darn good. The great thing about the Rode Podcaster, it's, it's all in one. You just It's got the, the headphone monitor, which is absolutely essential. And that's also one point I want to make. If you do, when you do monitoring, like you do with the MicMate Pro and the Rode Podcaster, you want to have headphones or earbuds that isolate the sound uh, from, from, the, uh, you know, from the microphone, because otherwise you'll get feedback. And that's a, a trick that uh, oftentimes isn't used, because you, you'll start hearing echoes and you'll, you'll get feedback. So you need something that seals out the audio and also keep the volume down as, uh, as low as possible, of course, to, to help alleviate that. Yeah, so for that, I've got, I've got a set of, of Bose over-the-ear headphones, and, and these are absolutely um, you know, noise deadening i mean i guess you would say i mean they they block out all the other sounds from the room um and so i'm really just listening to what's coming through on the on the the you know the microphone itself i'm not using you know any anything that's really going to hinder what i'm doing and and that's the big thing is you invest in the equipment and it'll it'll you know it'll help you out the uh, road podcast jeez oh, can't talk the road podcaster has been out for a number of years now so i'm sure you can get a very very good uh, price on ebay uh, for one to to at least try out that's what i'd recommend doing yeah and there's some things that you can do with that too uh with the road podcaster i mean i had a kind of a desk style uh you know arm that was not a scissor arm it was just kind of a a big metal block and then it was attached to a um uh, what do you call it? Uh, the the thing that has the that allows it so that it doesn't bump. shock mount. Shock mount, yeah. So I had it on the shock mount there, and uh, so but it was it was had to be sitting in one position. Obviously, I don't bring that with me when I travel. I just take it and I I kind of set up an interesting as interesting way as I can possibly do um, to keep it so that I'm I'm talking into a microphone. But it it usually allow you know um, kind of brings in weird parts usually it's in a hotel room so it brings in strange things from the hotel room into a big pile on a you know a kleenex box is usually involved maybe a towel 
uh, sometimes a pillow. It can be pretty weird. But anyway, you got to you got to do what you got to do. And uh, so that that's the stuff that I'm using. So Joey's uh, Joey's setup is a little bit more complicated, but I would argue uh, much more advanced than what I do. Well, yeah, I've got a Rode microphone. It's a NT2. It's a slightly older one, but, you know, the newness doesn't really matter. And uh, eBay items. Actually, pretty much all of my equipment's from eBay, so I, I don't like to spend big money, but I do like to have nice quality. And that goes into a, uh, a Behringer compressor uh, set up just for audio, so that helps smooth things out, keep background noise. Uh, like the dogs here jingling around, I'm sure you've heard, they, they, they like to uh, make noise, so... He, having the limiter set on that uh, reduces that background noise quite a bit and then that just gets uh, fed into um into the computer with a mixer and uh that's basically it yeah he kind of you kind of gloss over that part you know from from the compressor to a mixer and then into the computer i mean that's well you, you know if you do need to bring in uh, separate uh audio streams like uh if uh mickey comes to visit and we we are recording the same room Having another compressor fed into the mixer uh, really does help because that keeps the, um, you know, that keeps all, all the levels in the monitoring. Uh, you can set everything up really nice so, so the mix is perfect. And that's what a mixer is for. I mean, I don't need the mixer on a day to day basis. I can go right from the compressor into the computer. Yeah. And overall, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you look at the, uh, you look at the setups that everyone has and, you can you kind of pick and choose what what things work best for you. Um, you know, don't necessarily think that the way that either Joey or I does it is the best way to go. It's just what has worked well for us, um, and we we really like the quality of audio that we're able to provide every week. And um, you know, I, I listen to a number of podcasts or try to listen to a number of podcasts because a lot of times I get distracted by the audio quality, and that's exactly what I don't want to happen. Yeah, and you don't have to spend a lot of money to get uh, good audio quality. If you're just careful about the research of the, the products you're interested in, like if you're interested in a, in a compressor, which it does help, but it's completely unnecessary, pretty much 95% of sound quality can be uh, dealt with just on your voice alone and how you speak and, and how you handle the microphone based on how far away you are from it, based on your talking style, and uh you know, any broadcaster who's gone through like the, the broadcasting school learns all these techniques. And that's what really drives, uh, you know, the quality from the start. So, uh, you know, having technology really, really can help, but it's not the, um, it, it's really not the entire solution. That's a good point. I, I, I don't think about that too much because we've been, I guess, doing it long enough where we, we don't, I don't even think about that. It's, you know, I, I could, uh, let me give you an example. I could talk over here and, this is, I know how a lot of podcasts sound, you know, when you're totally away from the microphone and it's, it's almost like you're, you're listening to the echo of a room, but, uh, overall, I, I, I think we do a good job. I think we, we provide a, a very good, you know, very good audio quality. And that's one of the things that, that I pride this podcast on. And so we, uh, we continue to do it. And, uh, whenever we come up with things that can make it even better, we like to implement those as well. So if you have any questions or comments, you can send us an email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com, or you can give us a call to two zero six two zero three three seven three four. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 
slash the cell phone junkie or on Twitter at twitter.com slash cell phone junkie. And of course, all the stories that we talk about on every show every week are over at thecellphonejunkie.com as well. If you'd like to follow either of us, I am on Twitter at TCPJ underscore Mickey, and Joey can be found at TCPJ underscore Joey. So Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.